as a man, I'm fed so many narratives that other men are enemies, other men are are rivals. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches this a little different, and at its core, our show is about hearing and learning from the different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it's important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect those of our own. It's also important to remember that we aren't doctors or therapists and that we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on this show. One final thing that we need to let you know about is that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. So, if that kind of thing offends you, we suggest you just keep listening until it no longer does. However, if you're under the age of 18, you should probably stop listening or gather up your parents and listen as a family. Enjoy. Go, Emma, go. Welcome to episode 45. Yay. We're Finn and Emma. Of course. we are. And today we have an amazing interview with Kevin Patterson. He is the founder of the blog Poly Role Models. He's also written two books. In 2018. Yeah. Holy shitballs. Yeah. Two books in one year. Pretty crazy. The first one's called Love is Not Colorblind. And the second one is called For Hire Operator. Yeah, and he's going to talk about a little more about all those, but he's he's a very awesome author, blog runner, and a speaker. Blog runner. Blog runner, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like Blade Runner, but better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, awesome interview with And Kevin. he has a lot of good insights for the poly com- to the poly- about the poly community. That's what I'm trying to say. You said it. You said it, sister. <laughs> um, one quick thing. We mentioned last week, and I'm going to do it much, much shorter this week. Um, if you can, yeah, two weeks ago, if if you can, give us some feedback. We're going to keep trying to find awesome resources for everybody. Uh, whether they support the show financially or not, we want to find things that we think are useful. Um, one of them is the My One Condoms, custom fit condoms. And they're super awesome. We heard about them a couple episodes ago from one of our guests. And we dug into it and we were able to get them to give us 10% off. We'll actually give you 10% off. And you basically go on, you get sized up, and you find the condom that's right for you out of their 60 different sizes. And then those are the ones you wear. And it fits like a glove. Yeah. 10% off. Fits like a condom. Fits like a condom, yeah. 10% off using the code Emma at checkout. Yep. And we'll put links in the show notes. Yeah. What's the other one we wanted to tell them? STD check. This one's a great resource for SEI testing. It's easy and fast. You can get a $10 discount by using the link on our website as well. Our website is normalizingnotmonogamy.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, new Instagram, and on Casty under the screen name NNM Podcast. Yeah, so go check all those out. And again, shoot us some feedback over whether or not you absolutely hate us talking about and giving you new resources. If you would rather see a different model, tell us what you think. Again, uh, the new website is up, and you can now send us voice recordings or an email. So plenty of ways to tell us what you think in your kindest voice possible. Yeah, let's go talk to Kevin. Let's do it. Thank you, Kevin. 
Patterson for joining us tonight. Uh, for anybody who's not familiar with who you are, do you mind filling people in on a quick background and bio of, of who you are and, and how we got to be here? Um, well, I think um, what people probably know about me is uh, for going into uh, um, going into almost at four years now, I've run a blog called Poly Role Models, which is like an interview series and people talk about their real experiences with polyamory. That's sort of spun off into me speaking in a lot of places about uh, about the way identity impacts polyamory, uh, masculinity and uh, race specifically. I wrote a book, Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. And most recently, I released a fiction book, which is a, a superhero novel uh, centering queer and polyamorous and POC identities called For Hire Operator. Wow, that's and, really exciting. Yeah, so you you released two books this year then, right? Because Poly Role Models launched earlier that, this year as well. Or, I'm sorry, um, Love is Not Colorblind. Uh, Love's Not Colorblind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Love's Not Colorblind came out in um, the end of March uh, 2018, and I didn't think I was going to be writing two book, uh, releasing two books in, in, in the year, but I had written the first draft of For Hire already, okay. and my, uh, my, my, one of my friends, uh, a close metamor of mine, we got together and decided to sort of rewrite the whole thing. Like we had all the bones, we and we just sort of added meat to that skeleton and put put out a second book and we're really happy with what uh with uh how that went so it went from love's not colorblind at the end of march to uh for hire operator uh in the middle of october wow wow that's impressive congratulations yeah Yeah. (laughs) thank you yeah so maybe do you mind talking a little bit about what your sort of history of being in polyamory or non-monogamy as it were i don't know for sure that it's strictly been polyamory your whole journey do you mind talking a little bit about how you got into it and what it's looked like yeah 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 like for for me and i and for my wife like we have a we have the same origin story we started dating at we started dating in college and we started dating like january of what was it uh 2002 and we you know it was presumed monogamous because every relationship, if you're not having those conversations, just ends up sort of being presumed monogamous. But we went on a we went on a, a road trip to Toronto, which I love. I love Toronto. Every time I go to Toronto, I get like some life changing experience. <laughs> and one of them was that we ended up in having a threesome with a friend of hers over the course of this road trip, and. When it's when it was when it was supposed to get like weird and awkward and everything, it just sort of didn't, and we ended up having a bunch of like really long and deep conversations about what uh, exclusivity meant to us, and we both just sort of decided in the moment to walk off having exclusivity. And we gave ourselves a lot of off ramps, like you know, when we move in together, uh, when we move in together, when we move after graduation, we should stop this whole non-monogamy thing. When yeah. we get married, we should stop this whole thing. When we start having kids, we should start mm-hmm. stop doing this thing that we're doing. And it became, it started making less and less sense the longer we went. Like going back to monogamy made less and less sense the longer we were together. Right. So yeah. we just, we just never did. In, in in a practical sense, what did what did it look like at the beginning? You said it was it was a threesome for your first experience, and then did you continue having 
was it mostly like casual encounters or did you start seeking long-term or more serious partners? It started with, uh, it started with just being more casual encounters. There was a sort of starvation economy, scarcity of resources sort of mindset that, that at least I had mm-hmm. where I didn't think anybody would want to deal with me being that I was um, a, somebody who was in a relationship already that I was, uh, uh, that I was already very committed to. So I would just sort of date whoever would have me. Yeah. And that was good enough for a while. Like it was, you know, like I'd get, I'd, I dated a lot of friends, people in these, people that I knew who were friends who were in these sort of wishy-washy, are we, aren't we, unrelationships, right. you know, uh-huh. they would, they were good to date me because it was like, well, I can't get a good, I can't. I could get a better short-term deal from Kevin than I could get if I can't get a long long-term deal from the guy that I'm with. I could get a better <laughs> short-term deal with Kevin, and that was sort of me as like sort of like a, a makeshift semi-boyfriend for for whoever I was dating. Okay. Did you like but that? That became unsatisfying. Yeah, I was going to say it was good. Yeah, it was good for a while, and you know, like no hate to anybody who sort of uh, who sort of put me in that sort of like temporary spot. It was good for me, and it was good for them. But eventually, it stopped being good for me, and I stopped dating people who didn't identify as non-monogamous. Like if they weren't already, if they weren't already identifying that way, uh, if they didn't already have partners, you know, like I'd I'd steer away from those folks, and then I started really blooming in polyamory. Right. Yeah. And so right out of the gate, you guys were dating or seeking out separate partners. It wasn't always you and her were finding a third or, or another couple or. Yeah, no, we're, we're both, um, like at the time we were both far too straight for that. Um, this was <laughs> like, you know, like this, there's threesome as far as going outside of heterosexuality was, a flu- it was kind of a fluke for my for for my uh, my then girlfriend now wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the the fluke uh, now the fluke is heterosexuality for me. Where like I'm I'm straying further and further from that path, which okay. is which I'm I'm just fine with. But at the time, like that seemed like a good idea. But there was never a point where we where we started dating people together. There's there's maybe like. There's a grand total of like two or three people that we've both said, hey, they're very attractive at the same time and meant it the same way, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. we, we dated separately from the start. And that was a little bit difficult because as a man, I'm fed so many narratives that other men are enemies. Other men are are rivals. Right. So when, so when she started uh, seeing other guys, I had to like, you know, I had to sort of swallow like – what are my real feelings about this? What are my feelings about this? And what are the feelings that society tells me I'm supposed to have about this? And when those weren't the same feelings, you know, I had to ask myself a lot of hard questions. Like I thought I was going to flip a table. I thought I was going to be angry. And instead I was just like, well, I'm glad she had a good time. I'm glad she came home, you know? (laughs) So if, if, if the anger I'm supposed to feel is fake, what else? What else about society is fake? What else about my the reactions that I'm expected to have as a man in America? How much of that is fake? And then you know, I had to chip away at a lot of expectations. And those expectations, I imagine, continued as you moved in together, and you said you're now married, and fighting against those expectations of. Especially when you get married, now it has to be a monogamous relationship, right? Yeah. 
I mean, that's what we that's what we thought. Like we thought, you know, there's there's so many ways. Like we thought we were just being immature and 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 playing around, but instead we were making positive decisions for for our lives. We were making informed decisions. Like we both know what monogamy is. We both know what it looks like. And all of a sudden we were outside of monogamy and thinking this suits us better than what we had before. Right. Yeah. And I, I want to definitely circle back to some of the 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 things that were sort of stereotype breaking that you guys did and and also the the sexuality aspect but i guess just to kind of continue on do you mind is so you guys graduated and you had talked about well we're gonna quit we're gonna give this up cold turkey when we graduate it seems like that probably didn't happen if you're writing books and blogs about it at this point (laughs) (laughs) i mean it got to a point where we basically it wasn't broken. So why are we trying to fix it? Yeah. And like, we started having other people in our lives that made sense to be in our lives. Uh, and it didn't make sense. Like, okay, well now that we're married, we should throw these people in the garbage. Like that didn't make any, that didn't make any sense. I remember when my, when my older daughter was born, you know, I left my, I got one of, uh, one of her, one of my wife's friends are, our, our same, our same guest star from that from that first threesome came to the came to the hospital because you know she's a she's a loved member of our family. She came to the hospital and after we left because you know we had to leave mother and child in the hospital. She and I left together and we ended up going back to my place. And I'm like, we were supposed to stop this when 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 our, when we became parents for all of twelve hours and nothing stopped here. Right. <laughs> So you've continued on a relationship with with that with that mutual friend? Um yeah, like it's more of a it's more of a friend relationship. It's more of a friend relationship, but like it the way the way basically all of my polyamory works is we're doing we're doing what works best for us. Okay. And that's me and whoever I'm with. So like if if it means that I'm somebody's support system, cool. If it means that I'm just somebody's bud, cool. If it means that we're hooking up and not really doing much of anything else, cool. So like at least with this person, like our relationship is this is my friend. And sometimes we hook up and sometimes we don't, but we're we're good friends and we can trust each other in the clutch regardless. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's awesome that you guys are able to go into it with almost no limits or boundaries and allow yourselves the freedom to explore the relationship without having all of that did have you found that the the lack of limits or boundaries has caused issues for you in the past and have you had to back up and and reinstate some it has it has caused trouble in the past um basically i'm I don't kick I don't carry a lot of structure to my polyamory. I don't you know like I, I'm 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 closer to relationship anarchy and what I realize is that's not going to work for everybody. You know, some people need need that level of structure. Some some people need to be able to say like, "Hey, how many people are you dating, Kev?" and need like an answer that takes less than 30 seconds to answer, <laughs> and I'm not going to have that, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I'm not going to be able to say, okay, well, I'm seeing these three people and this is what my relationship is with these three people. I have no idea how many people I'm seeing. And those relationships are fluid enough that like sometimes, you know, sometimes they're hot and heavy, sometimes they're lukewarm, and that's okay. I'm okay with either one as long as the people that I care about 
care about me and like we're on the same page with what we're doing i'm okay with that everything else that's up in the air i'm fine with it being up in the air but not everyone that i see is going to be just that fine with that level of sort of airy fairy um you know uh, looseness you know Yeah, yeah no absolutely and when you guys were starting this did you evolve into that that loose structure very quickly or did you was this another example of you 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 first you broke the binds of the traditional monogamous relationship and now you find yourself in the poly the polyamory world and you're now thinking well this is the way we're supposed to do polyamory and then you sort of broke those binds and as well or yeah i mean it was it was gradual where um i remember like the first sort of the first sort of game changer for my situation was like I started seeing somebody and she had like I was one of like five boyfriends, one of whom she lived with, and she also had a, a girlfriend. And we went to a housewarming party, so it's like um, she's there with the guy that she lives with, who she's having this housewarming party with, uh, the, the the partner that she lives with, and two of her other boyfriend two of her other boyfriends myself included and i showed up there with my wife and this woman's nesting partner had another girlfriend who was there and i remember thinking like this is what i want my situation to look like like i'm at this party and you know my girlfriend has a bunch of her people here and her boyfriend has a bunch of her people here and i've got a bunch of people here you know cuz i showed up with my wife and i'm like this is what i want this is what i want it to be like and that's sort of where it's been ever since before it was sort of formless, like again, sort of dating whoever would have me. And then it was like, all right, well, I'm going to date people who I can specifically do this with. Like if I'm dating someone and I can't bring them around the other people that I'm, that I'm with, then I'm not dating that person. Yeah. 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 And so that, that worked out, that worked out really well. And then eventually I got to a point where I was like, well, Every time I'm meeting, I'll meet someone, I'll I'll think, this person is interesting, I want to explore where that goes. But I never stop feeling that way. There's, 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 I've yet to hit a point where, you know, okay, well, I'm dating five people, and that's all I want to date, you know? I'm still going to meet someone that seems interesting to me, and I'm still going to want to explore where that goes. And as long as we're on the same page in terms of, like, my availability and their availability and, you know, what we're each looking for out of our relationship, I'm okay with that. If they're like, okay, but Kev, I need, like, a a set standard day of the week every every week, I'm not going to be able to offer that to anybody. So if that's what they're looking for, they can just find it with someone else. No harm, no foul. You know, I'll still see you at the next Christmas party. But but if we're on the same page and we've got the same level of interest, then yeah, you know, all breaks are off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. It sounds like, you know, you and your wife have, uh, I don't know if you call it your primary relationship, but it is, um, you have children together. So I'd imagine that it does take more time than some of your other relationships. And to expand on that a little bit, how have you navigated having children with multiple relationships? Um, well, I'm I'm of a culture that always sort of has people around the house, and that's like sort of how I grew up. Where um, my folks are both my my folks are both immigrants to this country, so there was always 
you know, an aunt or an uncle who was staying with us, who was like off the boat, you know, trying to trying to find a, you know, trying to like get themselves set up in America. Um, there was a point where um, just sort of as a matter as a measure of childcare, my parents brought my aunt in from um, from Guyana, and she stayed with us for several years. So there was always sort of like a babysitting option going on there. Uh, I'm used to having more than two adults in a house, so my kids are used to having more than two adults in a house where, you know, we're really age appropriate with, with, uh, what's happening with our, without what's happening with our partners. But my, my kids are never surprised to see someone, uh, someone else. It's always like, Hey, I've got a friend coming over, you know, like they, they want to meet people. They want to see who's, who's here. They want to be nosy. Like, is this someone who can, who can get me snack, uh, you know, snack crackers? Is this somebody who's going to get me a, you know, a bottle of water? If I ask them, is this someone who's going to come to the tea party? And my kids are always sort of concerned from at their level yeah. and they can spot the familiarity like they understand that like this friend is more than a friend but like they also understand that like there are boundaries to how much they can ask and how much they really want to know yeah. right yeah and 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 how much you're going to show in front of them right it's not yeah it's, yeah yeah and i think that's important too that that i think a lot of people that maybe aren't as familiar with this type of thing would think that that's not appropriate but i i i think they just don't quite understand that you're you're capable of being in the room with your partners and not ripping each other's clothes off for you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i yeah i think it's not as big of an issue as people like to think um yeah and and like the, the 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 hard and nasty and dirty reality that my kids are learning is that you can love multiple people yeah you know which is a wonderful thing to learn. Yeah. And it's something that I had to like um I it's I haven't really had to have a lot of like long conversations with my kids about non-monogamy because like they get it. They get it quicker that they get it quicker because they're they're young kids. They're they're not like so ingrained in societal standard that it's a that this is some you know weird thing for them. Right. For them it's just like, well, hey, you know how when your sister was born, I still loved you? Well, you know, I love your mom and I love this other person. And some, you know, some people feel that strange and they get it. They immediately get it and they're immediately adjusted to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe building on that, do you mind talking about some of the, the, the things you alluded to earlier in terms of societal norms that you as a male or even as a, as a male, who's also a person of color, the things that you've had to fight against and battle against over the past, you know, 10, 11 years, or I guess it would have been 2000. So 16 years since you guys sort of started exploring this. Um, like the one thing that really irks me in terms of, um, like just like being a man is this idea that I'm forming a harem, like starting off being a man who was primarily attracted to women, like, and that's changed recently, but like, you know, at the start it was, I'm a man dating women and people felt like that was me like collecting and that's not really how I see it. And that's not how my partners see it. And also my partners are, have autonomy. They're free to date who they want to date. You know, there was always this sort of very male driven expectation that if I'm dating two or three women, that those women were off limits to others. Or that was how like, I'm sort of structuring a relationship and I'm not doing that. And I'm also not dating women who would allow that. So, you know, it's basically 
societal societal expectation of what a guy would do if he had the ability to date multiple people and that's not what i'm doing and that's not how it's being done you know yeah yeah so that that would be really difficult um what i what i made a lot of a career out of was running into uh racial expectations and there's a lot of that there was a lot of different expectations where if i'm black and polyamorous it was there were expectations that i was doing a white thing you know or that i was doing i was doing something that was sort of reserved for white folks and that wasn't just black folks feeling that way there are white folks who very clearly made it seem like I was in the wrong space at the wrong time. There was an expectation that my blackness was something to be fetishized. There was an expectation that my blackness was the only thing I had to offer a relationship, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I speak about that at length in Love's Not Colorblind, just sort of the, the, the forced ambassadorship of it, the fetishization, the othering that, that happens that keeps people of color out of these spaces. I spoke about I, I, when I started speaking about that, like I got a real following out of it. And then I wrote a book that people get a lot of value out of. And I'm really proud to have uh, written a book that people get value out of right now. Like in my local community, I've been managing a lot of um, people of color, exclusive events and um, and a Facebook group and everything for my local community. And it's it's such a refreshing space to be able to sort of. Enjoy this without enjoy polyamory, enjoy polyamorous communities without expectations on our race, you know, and mm-hmm. also to be able to have. I mean, you know how it is. If you're non-monogamous and you find yourself in uh, a non-monogamous community, all of a sudden you're speaking with a language, you're speaking with a culture, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and you don't have to define yourself to other people, you know. Yeah. Where if you say meta, if you say a word like metamor or compersion, you don't have to like. Pause and explain it to the person you're talking to because they already know, you know. Yeah. They're metamorph standing right next to you, listening in on your conversation with compersion. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to be able to to be able to experience polyamory with other black folks, with other people of color, and not have to sort of uh, code switch without ha- without having to, you know, explain a culture, explain a language, explain sort of like a lived experience. That's it's really freeing. Last year, around this time, um, I got together with maybe like 20, 30 people in my home, and we watched that Spike Lee, that Spike Lee show, She's Gotta Have It. Okay. And we watched it from, we watched the entire se- uh, uh, first season on Netflix together. And there were things in there. There were like, there were, there were cultural markers in there that had we been watching it with white folks, you would have had to stop and explain and the ability to watch it without having to stop and explain was really valuable. There was a, and like, I, I'm, I'm spoiling a little bit, but the show's like a year old. So sorry. Um, <laughs> in the ninth episode of season one, there's a police encounter that while watching it, I had a really harsh reaction to, I watched it and like my hands started shaking. I started like getting really angry. I started getting really angry anxious and like thankfully that that encounter doesn't turn into anything anything violent but my reaction was to violence you know i had to get up and leave the room go into the kitchen have a drink take some time to calm down before coming back out and finishing the show and being around people who understood that reaction you know being around people who had lived experience with that with sort of police encounters 
that was really valuable. That was like a really valuable moment in that space. And I've been trying to like have those sort of moments ever since, or not like that specific moment, just create a space that allows for those sort of moments. Right. Sure. And and it's more comfortable, right? It's comforting, I would imagine, to be in those spaces. Yeah. 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 And so I, it's something that I try. It's something that I try to to build on, and also like, the, like uh, our local community is 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 uh, is bustling, and like, and I take some credit for that. Like, I was part of a. I was part of a turnaround uh, about a year and a half ago of our local community, of our local polyamory community here in like the Philadelphia area. And, but still like, even if we have like a big event and, you know, 50, 60, 70 people showed up, there'd still only be like five, 10, 15 people of color there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if I host an event that's exclusive to people of color, we'll get 30 people of color. Right. Yeah. And- you know, we, We've uh, there's a, a local Lebanese restaurant that we've been taking over the last couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I mean that's amazing, and I think w- one thing I wanted to maybe talk about, and um, so first of all, right, you're talking about exclusive events, and and I've read at least the first half of your book, and <laughs> you talk a little bit about why it's important to have those, and why it's not really acceptable for me to say, well, we're having a white exclusive event right and and the reason is that i'm i'm not part of a racial minority and therefore i don't i don't really need that that support from my community and and i and i totally agree and understand that but i i guess my question is i mean to me the ultimate goal would be to not to not need an exclusive group one way or the other and that the that the that the the regular, the event would be 50, 50. And I feel like that would be the Um, ultimate goal or am I, and, and maybe the question is what are some things that you feel would be ways to help us get closer to that and not, not to get rid of the exclusive event, but to make, make other events more inclusive. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's ever, like, I don't know if there's ever a way to get to a goal. Like, I don't want to say that there is a goal because I don't know that there's ever a way to get to that. And also because like, if there is a goal, you have to constantly work to get it. Like, there's no way to like, you know, sc- you know, uh, score a touchdown and then like the game is over and you won, you know, there's, there's a lot of oppression and and privilege to unpack with all of these things and like we're talking about non-monogamy but it's really just society in general yeah so like there's never going to be i I don't know there's ever going to be a point where like representation is just correct yeah you know if it if if it is then all of a sudden like we don't we don't need that we don't need that but like when is when does that ever happen you know um like right now, there's a uh, there's a, a locally there's a, a what's it called a um, a play party a, um, like a play a play party that's like kink and swing and uh, orgies and such that is exclusive to like femmes, non-binary people, women, and this event um, like it's basically exclusive to everyone but cis men. And I hear awesome stories about this thing every month. Like every time this event happens, I hear all these great stories. I've got friends that go there. They 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 feel that it's a a loving and supporting and welcoming space. There's a lot of like you know sexy stories and supportive stories, the kind of tear jerking stories from this thing. Like 
every every time. And I think, wow, I wish I could go to that. But also I realize part of the reason why it's awesome is because I'm not allowed to go to that. Right. Yeah. You know, um, be, because I would bring all of my maleness, all of my privilege, all of the things that like the people who do attend, all of the like they're able to sort of be safe in themselves in a space where they're not suffering from the male gaze, which I'm going to be bringing with me whether I want to or not. Sure. You know, um, men as a safety threat, you know, and like we talk, you know, like uh, we're in a society that talks a lot about like, you know, dangerous people of color and dangerous Muslims and dangerous transgender people when like men, specifically white men with guns are like our biggest threat statistically. Right. Yeah. You know, and like um, there are several murdered trans women of color every year and a lot of them are murdered by guys that look like me, you know? So I'm bringing that threat with me whether I want to or not. And that event is awesome because I'm not there. And so I don't know if there's ever going to be a point where that event doesn't need to happen or that the uh, um, the exclusiveness of that event doesn't need to happen because what would first have to happen is we'd have to craft a world where I wasn't a threat, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I, Yes. Oh. No, and I, th- I think maybe the, the question maybe wasn't misunderstood. Maybe I phrased it wrong was not that we need to get rid of the exclusive event, but in, and to use your example, ways to, to make those people who have to have that exclusive event feel more welcome at the, the regular play parties, the regular the non-exclusive. The non-exclusive. So it, yeah. not to say that, Hey, we don't want you to have your space, but, I want to create a space where you can also come here and yeah. feel that safe and, and ways to create that, whether it's for people of color or for, you know, trans I people and, and yeah, non, non creating a more inclusive yeah. space in general. Right. There's, there's a lot of questions you have to ask when you run an event and, um, and I do touch on it in the book. I do, uh, in love's not colorblind, but like a lot of people feel like, it's as easy as saying, okay, we're having a happy hour for polyamorous people show up, you know? And then when 20, 30 people show up, it's like, yay, we had a successful event. There's a lot of questions you need to ask there. Like what part of the town is that in? You know, is it in part, is it in part of a town? Is it in, in the part of town where people of color also frequent? Is it a, uh, like, you know, how much does it cost to get in for this happy hour? How much are the drinks? Is it accessible by way of uh, mass transit? Because if it's uh, like, as a parent, if it's on like, if it's on a if it's on a night where I'm gonna need babysitting, that's gonna affect whether or not I can go. If I'm part of a group that's traditionally marginalized by way of class and finance, you know, whether or not I can make it there on mass transit, whether or not I've got to have a car, whether or not I can afford the drinks or the um or the uh, the cover the cover charge to get into an event, these all affect whether or not, you know, what the de- the demographics are of the group. Something I'm becoming a lot more cognizant of is like sensitivities. I've got a friend where if there's going to be a lot of smoke in the air, she's not going to make it. If there's going to be a lot of perfume worn, uh, perfume worn, she's not going to make it. You know, I went to a bowling night in our local polyamory community like a year or two ago, and I remember parking my car, walking up to the walking up to the uh, to the alley, and there was like a steep stairwell down to the front door, and I remember thinking, 
yeah, if there's there's only able-bodied people that are going to be able to make it to this thing. Yeah. Right. You know, because this stair like this stairwell is challenging for for my able-bodied ass. You know, somebody <laughs> somebody in a wheelchair on crutches with a limp with a cane, they're just not going to be able to make it in here. Right. Yeah. You know, even if they even if they didn't want to bowl, even if they just want to come and enjoy some fellowship with some other polyamorous people, they're barred at the door. You know, I host a lot of things at my house and I try to make it as as uh, accessible as I can. But it's something at my house, you know, where I tell people, if you've got kids, I'll set up some room for kids to watch stuff down in the basement while we're watching stuff upstairs. If you've got, um, you know, if you if you're coming in on mass transit. The bus takes a little bit of finagling to get here, but I'll come out to meet you at the train station if you want to take a train in. I'll I'll pick you up from there. I'll drop you off there if you need to. I try to make it accessible as I can, but it's my house. Like There's not only so much I can realistically do. Yeah. If you're hosting something in a city, that's something you need to pre-plan before you even pick a venue. Right. You know? Yeah, and I think that's all very important stuff and i and this is something i think we've we mentioned and we talked a little bit out about an email that we'd love to do and and dive into this deeper with you and and a couple other people that were on the email chain and maybe do like a roundtable discussion about ways that we can be more inclusive and and be more inviting to all sorts of people, not just racially speaking, but but across the board. And I think when you say we, you mean the non-monogamy community? The, yeah, the general. non-monogamy community, and honestly, just people in general. Yeah, people. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, that, and and also something, also something we need to be doing is like telling our own stories, telling our own stories, and allowing for the voices of marginalized people to shine through, spotlighting them when we can. Mm-hmm. Because when we're not telling our own stories, when when people tell our polyamory stories a lot of it ends up being monogamous people pointing the camera lens at us trying to portray a freak show and a lot of that ends up being like triads like able-bodied cisgender uh traditionally attractive well-to-do uh white folks in these closed triads and that's not all of what we look like. Whereas if we're telling our own stories, A, we're going to get a more accurate story. And if we're pushing forward uh, marginalized voices, you're going to get a more diverse and inclusive, uh, a more diverse and inclusive view where poly, poly role models is the most inclusive showcase of polyamory available anywhere, period. And I wasn't aiming for that when I started. It just became that because the bar is so incredibly low, you know? Right. And like there there aren't there aren't shows there aren't a ton of shows that portray polyamory in uh in a variety of ways or featuring a variety of people there aren't a lot of books written and so on you know there's just i mean there's not a bunch of books written as far as fiction non-fiction non-fiction there's a lot of books they're almost all written by white folks almost all written by white women and they're all like sort of textbooks but like and as far as representation, as far as representation, like in fiction, you're not going to really find a lot of non-monogamous relationships. Like N.K. Jemison did a really good job in um, her Broken Earth series. Okay. But um, but that's just one author. And granted, that's one phenomenal author who won a bunch of Hugo Awards for the same for the same series. Yeah. But you're not going to find a ton more than that right now, at least not in uh, under any names that you'd recognize. Right. Well, 
you know, you had mentioned people that you wanted people to tell their story and get their word out. And that we agree a hundred percent, which is why we wanted to start this podcast and try to get as many people to tell their story as possible because we feel that's important. Do you have any other suggestions? I know you have your poly role models blog, uh, for people to reach out to you or to tell their story, how they could do that if they didn't want to come on a podcast. All right. So we all like, if you got a smartphone, if you got a smartphone, you got a way. I mean, like if you got a smartphone, you've got uh, YouTube, you've got WordPress, you've got Tumblr, you've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter. We all have like this sort of worldwide range now that we walk around with in our pockets. And like, hell, I'll broadcast, I'll broadcast for broadcast for damn near anybody, you know? Like, I've got people who don't even like me who are like, hey, Kev, can you broadcast this new project I'm working on? Hell yeah, because your work's more important than my ego. You know, I, I, um, we have the range in a way that we never have before. And we keep trying to like go to these traditional roots. We keep trying to let like, um, mainstream newspapers, mainstream media, uh, media, uh, outlets control our stories. Like we try to let them tell our stories and they always tell it wrong. I, I, I point to like the, I was in the New York times a couple of years ago and the article in the New York times, I mean, aside from being, like, really boring, it was really not a non-monogamy story. It was a story of cheating partners who were, who were using non-monogamy to sort of, like, spice up their unsatisfying marriages. <laughs> and then they also added, like, bits and pieces of non-monogamous couples in there to, to make it seem like they, like, did a lot of the research when a lot of that research was just sort of left on the cutting room floor or whatever that, whatever, how you however you phrase the cutting room floor in terms of an article, mm-hmm. that's where a lot of our stories were left. If we, if we forego that and just tell our own stories through our own methods and share each other's work and broadcast each other's work, like I, I, I do that all the time. Like I, I never, I never hesitate to shout out like Alicia Bunyan Sampson, who does Diary of a Polyamorous Black Girl, or Dirty Lola, who does Sex at a Go Go, Rebecca Hiles, who does The Frisky Fairy, um, Afrosexology, Jaminica Eborn, who does Trauma Queen. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always shouting people's work out because any, because right now there's someone who needs to listen to an episode of Trauma Queen. You know, somebody's going through their personal pain and they need to listen to an episode. Somebody wants to get into sex ed and they're a person of color and they don't know whether or not it's a field for them. There's an entire podcast called Sex Ed in Color by Cameron Glover and they need to listen to that, you know? So like I'm, I'm always trying to broadcast for people because for every one of us that has a story, there's a hundred people who need to hear that story. Right. So we have the range. We just need to sort of cycle it up. You know, like there's some, like there's, it's, there's someone in the next month or two in the next week or so that I'm going to say like, Hey, you know about that normalizing non-monogamy podcast? And then you're going to have a listener that you didn't have just because, yeah. you know, somebody needed, somebody needed to hear that. Somebody's yeah. going to need to hear this podcast and, and, and it's going to make sense to their life where, I was fooling around in non-monogamy for damn near a decade before I before I found before I found it as polyamory and found a community and found a bunch of resources that could uh that could really help, you know? Yeah. yeah. Where I didn't I didn't know about like the the ethical slut or uh opening up or any of those books until way later than I probably should have. Those are things I should have had, you know, in year one and I didn't have them till like year seven. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's awesome to hear that, you know, you're basically saying start a blog, start a podcast, create some YouTube videos and and reach out to the community. Or write a guest article too. It doesn't have to be a whole Yeah, and whatever you want to do. And that what I what yeah. I love hearing on on your behalf is that you're not taking a, a scarcity mindset of this. That by promoting their work, you're somehow taking away readers of your blog and of your work. But but rather, you're you're creating a a bigger, stronger community. And I think that exactly. that's something that yeah. we love hearing. That just because you point someone to us doesn't mean that now they don't have time for you. And and I think that's sort of a metaphor for polyamory in general. And I, and I, I think that's exactly so. Yeah. I mean, there are projects that I felt were derivative of poly role models, but I still spotlighted them, you know, because like my work stands on its own and their work, you know, was different, just different enough that I didn't feel like it was completely infringing on what I was doing. So as long as like, as long as you're not doing poly role models, I will shout you out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's that's fantastic. And and now if if yeah, if we could circle back and hear a little more about your story and and not to downplay any of what we talked about, but I kinda wanted to, to get more about your story out there and and hear a little bit about what are some of the things that that you found challenging personally as you were going through this and maybe some of the ways you, you overcame those and and if you've been able to turn them into strengths by, you know, at this point. Um, I know I was worried about how to be um, early on, like how much, how much am I going to talk about this, you know, in terms of like my folks or the people where I work or like, um, you know, eventually when I had kids, how much am I going to want to like let out in terms of um, like their, their teachers and so on. And that was like, that was a worry. But then what I realized was it's also a worry for the people that I'm seeing that I'm not backing them up. If I'm not being, if I'm not being out and honest, you know, like how, how can they feel safe and stable in a relationship if I won't acknowledge that it's a relationship? Right. And I also, I also have to acknowledge that I had the privilege of being out. Like I work in a career that is like, I work in technology. I work as a, te- uh, a technical writer. Nobody was going to beef with me about, about what my relationships look like. You know, I, I, I write, in, you know, like I, if I'm writing an instruction manual, it's not like I'm going to be in front of a, of, of a CEO or a client. I'm writing a thing that someone is going to read to somebody else or someone is going to read off in a cubicle somewhere. Nobody cared what I do with my personal life. Yeah. So when I was out, I realized I had the privilege of being out. Yeah. I wasn't beholden to my, to, uh, to my family for like financial support. Otherwise that would be, you know, that would be uh, a concern. So because I wasn't, because I wasn't, I was able to just say, you know what? I'm out. This is what I'm doing. And like, I started dating someone who, who I refuse to acknowledge as just a friend or something. So I just, I, at one point, like my wife and I were going to a polyamory meetup in Philadelphia. And then we were going to a second, a second uh, polyamory meetup later that day. in like, uh, in like central New Jersey, cause we had friends who were, who, uh, who were running both. And in between, we stopped for lunch and we're just looking at each other like, why are we hiding this? You know, what's the purpose now? So we just 
we just went on Facebook and said, like, yo, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. We've been doing it for a lot of years, but also, like, this is what it's structured as now. And the reception from most of our friends was like, well, we already knew that. And (laughs) the reaction from our families were a bunch of private messages like, well, if you're doing that, how can I, how can I be doing that? (laughs) So next thing you know, I'm, I'm educating. That's that, that, uh, that ambassadorship right there. Uh Yeah. Yeah, That's. And so that, that was sort of the, that was sort of the journey with us. And it was and it wasn't it wasn't an issue and again like i had the i had the privilege of being able to make that not an issue so because we had the privilege we were out and now that helps somebody else you know we're like right now i'm aggressively out and if that means that somebody can come over and ask me for advice that they really need i got them you know if somebody needs to see that polyamory isn't just uh white folks they they can use my face as a as as an example i was in Philadelphia Daily News around this time, around December, December 2017, um, my wife and I were front page news. And it also, it was an article that also featured the, uh, the organizers of our local black and poly community and the founders of our, our local global community. And we added to that community hundreds of new people. And most of those people were people of color. Like over the course of two months, we added like three or 400 people. And most of them were people of color. Most of them were black folks. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, we didn't even know y'all existed. And now you're all here. And a part of that is me having my face, me and my wife having our faces on a newspaper saying we are black and we are polyamorous. This is where we hold up. And people just showed. So like there were people, like I said, for every story you got, there's a hundred people that need to hear that story. And in this case, very literally. Yeah. No, that's incredible. Yeah. Do you think that would have had that same impact if you guys were sort of, you're out, but you're not showing your faces and you're not out in the community like that? Or or do you feel that being out and being proud about it was the, the tipping point that helped? I mean, yeah, yeah. Where like if we're, if we're using that that same group as an example, they the the founders and some other folks, like some other people in their um in their poly and their polyamory network, they did a a, a, a magazine article uh, some years ago, and the the article was like, hey, you know, we're in this Facebook group, but the Facebook group was a secret group, so if you couldn't like if you didn't have a friend who was already already in there you couldn't be added to it okay so when i joined that group there was maybe three or four or five hundred people there's about three there's about 350 people there and then eventually we made the group more accessible and that three four five hundred people ballooned to a thousand and and then when we were in uh then when and like but that was over the course of like an entire year whereas when we put up our faces on that newspaper it went from like a thousand to like 14 to like 1400 over the course of two months yeah wow yeah like the 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 visualization the representation was there like very clearly there yeah no that's amazing i think i think that's a, a good lesson and and it's it's important to hear too for people who are and again, as you mentioned, a lot of people don't have the privilege or the ability to come out because of work or kids or yeah. family or whatever it is. But if you if you have that, 
privilege, then maybe it's it's time to exercise it. And and that's something that oh I'll yeah be, that I'll be honest that we're seriously talking about. So um, yeah, so I, I think um, we appreciate hearing that, and and it's something we're gonna take to heart. The um, the online version of, of that um, that Philadelphia uh, Daily News article it was like on Philly dot com. Um, the online version of that article it got shared around so much. It went to so many different places that um, like this year I was touring around the book Love's Not Colorblind. Like I went I went um I visited like eighteen different cities. I had about twenty four twenty five different stops because some places I'm like Atlanta and New York and a couple other places I ended up in multiple times. Mm-hmm. That article went around so much that people I, I'd run into people who would say like i you know i was in i'm I'm in this marriage I kind of wanted to talk about polyamory to my to my spouse. I wasn't sure how they'd take it, so I passed them your article and I passed them that article and it gave them enough, enough resources that they, you know, it gave them enough uh, of a, like a sort of a knowledge base that we were able to at least have a conversation about it, or at least, you know, have enough of a language to know the term polyamory and to know that it was available to people of color. And from that point, we started having this conversation. Like somebody in Albuquerque said that to me and that was like really valuable. Like that was really valuable to hear because a lot of times you feel like you're just speaking into the void. Like there are times where I don't run into monogamous folks for weeks at a time, you know, outside of like outside of my job. So to run into people who are, who are like brand new to their journey that, that you help find their way. That's amazing. That's, that's, it's really surreal. It's really surreal. Yeah. And I I think, yeah, no, that's incredible to to have that kind of feedback loop makes it, yeah, makes it worth it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It makes it all worth it. Yeah. So one, one thing that we try to, ask about if if people are up for it and and based on reading some of the interviews on poly role models it sounds like it's a theme that you like to pursue as well but i think people who aren't necessarily familiar when they're looking out looking in from the outside see that everybody in this space is probably got stis and we're we're (laughs) we're extremely unhealthy we're not taking care of ourselves and and I think, you know, maybe that's a little bit extreme, but how do you take care of yourself and your partners to make sure everybody's staying healthy? And and, and, and how do you have that conversation? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to backtrack just a little bit, like the people who say that, like, oh, wow, they've got all these, you know, they must have all these STIs. Basically what they're saying is because I'm, a, they're like, I'm extrapolating my trifling sex to their trifling sex, right. you know? Yeah, I um, agree. And I, and I think I maybe was a little extreme on that, but I know it, it happens and I've no, seen no, it online. I've seen it yeah. in feedback that we've got from people. Yeah. And so it's, it's not too far out in left field. No. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Um, I know with me, like I have safer sex conversations with, uh, with new partners and, if there is any change in my sexual health, I have I have those conversations before I before I have new partners. Like fortunately, I haven't had like any changes in my sexual health in like in a few years, so like I don't have to have new conversations with old partners. Yeah. But like it's 
it's not a difficult thing where uh, I actually had to have that conversation today where uh, I, I got invited to uh, I got invited to to, to play with a, uh, an established partner and a new partner at the same time and, and I explained really quickly like this is the last time I got tested this is um this is what I'm this is what I'm positive for this is what's going on with like my uh, with any treatments that I need this is what's going on with what I'm into and what I'm not into like this is you know this is what's happening with my sexual health and it was a conversation that took less than 60 seconds mm-hmm. on oh, grand total because she had to have the conversation with me it took less than two minutes for us to have this conversation it didn't break the mood it didn't change what we were what we were there to do it was you know it was a quick conversation you know i feel like anyone that tells you that they're not having those conversations maybe they shouldn't be having sex at all yeah, yeah. i feel like anybody who is saying that that's a conversation that'll break the mood they're not doing a good enough job establishing that mood yeah. you know right yeah, and and there's ways to have that conversation that aren't that aren't that mood killers. yeah that aren't mood <laughs> killers and and honestly yeah and and I think if you're depending on who you're playing with right if you're having those conversations and that's all it takes for them to decide that hey the mood's over then I think you dodged a bullet yourself really I mean yeah yeah, yeah. without so. a doubt. So I mean it's not a, it's not a hard conversation. Um, I I know it's something that uh that Reed Mahalko talks about in his um uh, um like readaboutsex.com, the uh, safer sex elevator speech. Yeah. It's a like a very easy conversation to have. And also like and again like the bar being low, the bar is really low for cisgender men in terms of in terms of how we treat our partners, like. I'm dating a lot of people, and a lot of that is I treat my people. I treat I treat people like people. I treat women like people. I treat my partners like people. Like I I treat people respectfully, and that goes a lot long. Uh, that goes a lot further than it should go when like it's really just basic human respect. Mm-hmm. And what I found is my willingness and upfrontness in having those safer sex conversations ca- carries a lot of weight. Like. Not to say that there's any real danger for me in, like, not having those conversations, but me being forthright and saying, hey, before we do this, let's let's talk about this, you well, know? Yeah, and I mean, you're, you've got a family, you've got kids, and your, your yeah. number one concern is making sure that you're safe and alive and, and living a healthy life so you can be around for them, and I think that echoes through when you probably get tested regularly. You're having these conversations, you're doing all these things that you're probably sexually safer than non-monogamous people or monogamous people, whatever they are. (laughs) Yeah. The people who aren't like, yeah, (laughs) because like, you know, like Joe blow going to, going to the bar and like picking up a random, a rando for, uh, for, for, um, a one night stand. They're not having these conversations, you know? Yeah. I think we and need like, to find a way to make them, though. I think it would be awesome if we could start yeah. to influence that. <laughs> yeah, just, hookup gonna, culture. And, the hookup culture. Yeah. <laughs> and and don't get me wrong, like I've I've screwed that up. I've missed the conversation. I've had to go back and have the conversation. Like after the fact, there are times where I've I've definitely made my mistakes, you know. But like also, the bar being low, me owning my mistakes carries a lot of weight exactly. you know like something that should be basic human de- decency me saying hey look i screwed this up can we have a conversation about that can i you know can i apologize can we make this right you know 
basic human decency that that people often miss. Yeah. No. It's... Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Is there anything else that, not not to highlight all of your mistakes, but I think it's easy for some people who who look out look in from the outside. I keep messing that up. Maybe I'll stop using that phrase. People looking into this say, well, he's written books. He's been doing this for years and years. He's, he's flawless at this. And, yeah, and I know no, that's for, fake. yeah it's, it is. And I know it's, it's fake because we've been doing this for 12 years ourselves and we still make mistakes. I mean, do you, do you mind sharing one or two of your biggest learning experiences? And maybe that's a way to say one of the mistakes you've made. Um, yeah, I mean, like, um, it's been a while since I've posted an update for it, but like on my blog, I used to post, uh, cautionary poly, uh, teachable moments from non-monogamous relationships. Okay. And it's been a while since I've gotten, and this was like anonymous people's anonymous stories. It's been a while since I've posted one, but like one of them is not anonymous. One of them is straight up my name on it. And I, I screwed up. I was dating someone brand new and she wanted to go barrier free and, and like, I sort of knew what the reception to that would be. Um, I, I didn't think like the other partners that I was seeing seriously, I didn't think they'd have a problem with it. And, and so I jumped the gun instead of having the conversation with them and saying, like, Hey, I'd like to go bar- without barriers with this partner. I just went for it. And then I had the conversation with them afterwards. And, and then I got tested afterwards. And like, I knew what the results of all this would be. But I was supposed to have those conversations to start, not after the fact. And I screwed that up immensely. And I was embarrassed by it. I was embarrassed that I had messed up. I didn't want to like just come forward and say, like, hey, this is me messing up here. So eventually, it, eventually it came out. Like two, um, two of my partners, like I was away at a conference with my wife, and my other two partners were were at the house watching my, my kids and having conversations, and that was the conversation they had. And they reached out to my wife, and they were all very upset with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As well, they had a right to be. Again, this is me screwing up, you know, completely. Um, so. I had to sort of rebuild trust with all three of those partners in three different ways all at the same time. And it was the most, it was the, it was the most grueling relationship effort that I ever had to put into it. Eventually I, eventually I got back on the same page with all three of those partners. Um, I sort of rebuilt trust with all three of those partners. I'm still with two of the three, the one that I'm not with that, that situation doesn't have anything to do with it. But the one thing that I thought was actually really valuable was that like those three, those three women who I had burned completely, who had every right to, uh, to, to set me on fire. They formed a friendship in the, in those moments where, where they were just sort of loving on and supporting, supporting on one another, you know, while dealing with my bullshit. And, each one of them at some point was like done with me. Like each point, like they were just like, you know what? I'm done with this guy. I'm, you know, like this was too much. This was too far. It was, it, it was a small mistake that, that spiraled into a big mistake. He should have just been honest. Screw Kev. I'm out. And the other two would jump in like, Hey, well, like, you know, your relationship with him is valuable to us as well. Like we care about how you're about your well being, And, you know, at least he's trying to make up for this. At least he's trying to rebuild trust and like being face up. Like once it was exposed, like once 
once any of that dishonesty was exposed, I was, I didn't try to spin it. I didn't try to make it anyone else's fault. I didn't try to, you know, duck and cover. I, you know, no, like it was, it was out and out. And like, I, I, I claimed complete responsibility as well. I should, there was nothing else I could do. And each one of them sort of pulled, pulled each other back in to the fold, you know, to the point where I was able to sort of like learn and grow and rebuild each of those relationships. And yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. Like what I've learned, what I've learned from that experience and what I've learned from every experience in terms of uh, like posting those cautionary poly stories is integrity is key. Integrity is, is so key. Like every mistake I've ever made in polyamory is because my integrity wasn't on point. And every rebound I've ever had to make, uh, focusing on that integrity was what made that rebound possible. Every story that I've posted as, as far as uh, cautionary poly was a communication issue at its heart. And if communication was better and honesty and autonomy was better, you know, that story doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, that's what I would pass on to any and everybody. Yeah. And I think that's very valuable. And And thank thank you for sharing that because it's it's not easy to admit that we make mistakes. Yeah, that everyone screws up sometimes. And and I fucking hate that story. (laughs) <laughs> well well we appreciate you being willing to share it maybe yeah. maybe we could take the mistake train and put a fun spin on it one of the the questions we like to ask people is um a blooper maybe something from the blooper reel that's happened whether it was to you or because of you and and it doesn't have to be quite as serious but it's also it's nice to hear that we don't all get into these situations and everything is Perfect. Perfect. That we're all human. That we're all human. Hmm. I mean, it's not really, uh, it's not really a, a, a specific situation, but like, my partners always have a lot of fun picking at me. Like, whenever you get any two of them in a room together, any two or three or you know, any any multiple any multiple number in there, that's what my life looks like. Is them poking fun at me and you know and sort of and sort of pushing me around a little bit what i can reference is like if you've seen black panther like if you've seen black panther and civil war and infinity war what you'll notice is that like t'challa when he's around the avengers t'challa when he's in civil war when he's at the un t'challa when he's you know gearing up for the fight in uh in wakanda and um in infinity war He's a king, and people respect him as a king, and and people see him and view him and treat him as a king. And then when you watch Black Panther and see him getting teased by his little sister, getting teased by his friends, getting teased by Okoye, like, that's, you know, it's these two sides of this guy. And, like, people, people kind of give me – people give me a lot of – um, people kind of view me a certain way because I've got a book and a blog and all that. When really I'm just the guy that goes home and gets teased by his uh, by his wife and his partners and like the people <laughs> around him. I'm just a guy that gets I'm, I'm just a guy that gets pushed around a bit. Yeah. So you're you're a victim. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> like if, if, I mean, mm-hmm. there there have been times where there have been times where it's gotten to be a bit much and like and that's the thing. 
but for the most part, like it's just good, you know, good, good natured ribbing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's a normal, you're a normal human being, I think is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm always, I'm always really weirded out when people, like when people, like, when people treat me like an expert, like, nah, I'm a guy who screws up like everybody. Right. You know, when people treat me like, uh, you know, like, yeah, I've written a book, but like, that doesn't give me any, any level of expertise. Like I'm talking about my lived experiences in this book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think I think that's important and and we appreciate you sharing that. And maybe before we let you go, if there's anything else you wanted to to get out there and share that we haven't asked about or we haven't touched on yet, we'll give you the, the opportunity to do so. Um yeah, the uh the other book, the October book, uh for higher operator. Uh-huh. I'm really excited about that, and like, and we're also working on a follow-up. But like, while I was writing "Love's Not Colorblind," I needed like it. It's it, it was a hard book to write because again, it's from my personal experiences. So there's a lot of really harsh stories in there, and a lot of really harsh experiences that I had to sort of pour into that. But like, I needed sort of a mental break, and I I wrote a superhero story. Um, I wrote this superhero story, and I didn't expect anyone to ever read it. And I passed it on to uh, my 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 friend uh, Alana um uh, uh, sorry Alana Phelan, and she's a library. She re- she does book reviews. She reads hundreds of books a year, and she wasn't into it. Like she wasn't into it at all. But then, like once Love's Not Colorblind uh, came out we went back to it. Like she told me basically I needed to rewrite it, that it didn't have authentic voices in certain, in terms of certain identities, particularly, um, wi- um, identities of our women characters. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where like, she point out something and I'd rewrite it and she'd point out something and I'd rewrite it. And she'd point out something that I'd say, why don't you write it though? Like you've got an idea in your head of how this would be awesome. So you should write this awesome thing. And that became us re- taking taking a book that I thought no one would ever read and turning it into a book that I think is like actually pretty awesome now. And that's for uh, for higher operator, and it's called that because like for higher is the universe, and we're gonna try to create more more books in a for higher universe. Like we're working on the second one called for higher audition, and I'm not sure when that's gonna release, but I'm pretty excited about that as well. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah, that's really exciting, and. Hopefully people will go out there and read Love is Not Colorblind and also your new one for Higher Operator. Are they are they both on Amazon yeah. or what's the what's the best way to get them? Uh Operator is available on Amazon, it's available on Smashwords, you can find it on like Barnes and Nobles, iTunes, um, um Apple Books. Um it's available uh, as a paperback from Amazon exclusively because that's who we're publishing through. Okay. Um, it's self-published through Amazon, so that's where the paperbacks are. But the ebooks are available basically everywhere. Uh, and uh, Love's Not Colorblind is available in the same way. I think the I think the the, the paperbacks though are available in stores as well. Uh, in for Love's Not Colorblind, like we went through uh, Thorn Tree Press, who did um, more than two, and um, it, um, a lot of uh, Dr. Elizabeth Chef's books. Mm-hmm. It's called Polyamory, coming out about your non-monogamous relationships. So there's, so like Thorn Tree put out Love's Not Colorblind. We self-published for hire, and so they're available sort of in two different sort of ways. Okay. okay. Very cool. Yeah, that's really yeah. helpful. We'll make sure to get links up for all of them. And and if anyone wants to check out your blog, I'm assuming you can just Google poly role models and find it pretty easily. 
Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm poly role models everywhere. I'm poly role models on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the blog is on Tumblr, but it, it it also mirrors to Facebook. Um, poly role models on Facebook. Um, so yeah, that's all. That's all very very easily available. Okay. Perfect. Well, again, we'll put links for everything and any way possible people to get a hold of you will make it easy. Um, and again, thank you for taking the time to chat with us, and and we hope maybe we get you back when. Uh, uh, for a higher um, audition comes out and we can do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to talk about it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a geek boy who's into superheroes. So, like, the ability to put out some representation uh, as far as a, a superhero novel, I'm, I want to keep doing that. Like, if I had to do nothing else, I could, I would just do that. Yeah. Awesome. It's fantastic. And thanks again so much for your time. We had a great time talking to you. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Have a good night. Absolutely. You too. We're back. We are back. Thanks to Kevin for taking the time to talk with us. I know he's a really busy person, and we appreciate him carving out some time for us. Yeah, it was awesome. And and we've talked with him about doing some follow-up stuff with a couple other people from the community uh, that he is very well embedded in he Mm -hmm. knows a lot of awesome people and we were actually put in touch with him by crystal from a previous interview so again we're talking about doing maybe like a panel discussion with them uh like as a special release episode so let us know what you think about that idea because we're we're working on putting that together and we're excited for it yeah we are what else you got emma next week we have an interview with Val and Jason. Yeah, two awesome listeners who reached out to us and have a really cool story. It's yes. A, it's an yeah, amazing interview. Yes. And they all are amazing. We say that every week. We every should come week. up with a new adjective. I know. And the other thing we wanted to quickly mention is the resource Casty. You can get a free six-month trial by using the link on our website. And it's a dating website. We use it to meet all the sexy people. Yeah, really, six months free. What do you got to lose? You got nothing. Yeah. So go check it out. Give it a try. Use the links. And make your profile. Make it hot. Yep. Or hot. Okay. Stop talking. We're not doing that. We're not doing that? All right. We'll see everybody. We'll see. Wait, wait. Okay, we can't wait. Website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Twitter, Instagram, and Cassie, NNM Podcast. Check us out. Reach out. See you in a week. Bye.